Welcome back. <laughs> what episode are we on? <laughs> it's like 120 something. 20 something. Crazy. Still doing films from last year. This well, is technically like said, January and February will be a catch up. And I have seen a bunch of things. Some of them we're not going to review. Lost Daughter. I saw The Lost Daughter. <laughs> you saw her. Where is she? No longer Lost Daughter. Found Daughter. That was Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. She wrote and directed that movie based off of a book starring Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley as a younger Olivia Coleman. Mm. Dakota Johnson. Yes. Ed Harris is in it. Peter Skarsgård. What? Good cast. Really good cast. Peter Skarsgård will always be the cloud guy from Green Lantern for me. <laughs> oh, no. Wait, that wasn't Galactus, was it? No, it's Parallax. Parallax. Completely different comic book universes. Gosh. <laughs> we'll cut that part out of the podcast. No, I'm leaving it in <laughs> so that everyone can know how stupid you are. But am I stupider than that Green Lantern movie? <laughs> More stupid? Stupider. Well, who knows who Parallax is? At least they knew that Parallax was a DC villain. I bet you most of the people didn't know. You would have put Galactus in the Green Lantern movie. I wouldn't have made the Green Lantern movie. As a cloud. <laughs> Which is what Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer did. They made Galactus a cloud, that's, just like Parallax. That's what I was thinking of. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Uh, anyway. A lot of cloud. Let's talk about The Lost Daughter for a second. The Lost Daughter was very good. I wouldn't recommend it to a lot of people because it deals with very dark subject matter. Mm-hmm. Some of like the worst stuff I could think of as a person or a parent or child of parents. <laughs> Yeah, it sort of plays like a psychological thriller, but it's not really. It's more about somebody who is lost because they're very effing selfish. Mm, it's like a psychodrama? I don't know. See it if you're interested in shit. And then I watched The Tender Bar on Amazon, directed by George Clooney, the starring Ben Affleck, ben Affleck yeah. and the girl from American Horror Story, and Ty Sheridan. And I really didn't like that movie. Oh, that's George Clooney directed that. I just said that. And I just didn't hear you. Some days I don't listen to you. <laughs> other days you don't listen to me. Tell me this movie was set in Boston. I honestly couldn't tell you where it was set. Somewhere. Oh, it says Long Island. Somewhere near the East Coast because he could go to Yale. Anyway, I really didn't like it. I can't recommend Tender Bar. I can barely recommend Lost Daughter because of the content matter. So we're here to talk about a film that came out on Netflix that I really love. And Gabe watched. I also really loved. You did? I I don't know if it's... Yeah, I said that. I'll be more clear next time. I loved it. I don't know where it would fit if it were to be in my top 10, maybe. Did I already kick Belfast out? I think I kicked it out for Blue Bayou. For Blue Bayou. I kicked Blue Bayou out for Tick, Tick, Boom. (laughs) Really? I think so. This movie really... I mean, it's not like 100% resonance like it was for you, probably. Because I feel like you are Jonathan Larson. Wow, that's... uh... I'm like 80% residence. So like, I think in terms of like... That means a lot. I think Come On, Come On, in terms of like the dramas that speak to your soul, I probably am still prefer Come On, Come On, but like Tick, Tick, Boom is right behind it for me. So really profoundly affected me, but not not like to the point where... I am so shocked on so many levels. Yeah, I was shocked when you said that you didn't think I would like it. Well, that's because you don't like musicals. And this was like every 10 minutes there's a song. And there's a musical number. There's like usually dancing or some sort of dancing or musical number. 
So I genuinely didn't think I was like, I think he will like the idea of it, but not like the movie itself because it's a musical. That's what I thought you'd anyway. What we're doing today is tick, tick, boom on Netflix. Tick, tick, boom. We'll come back to this conversation. This movie is about Jonathan Larson who wrote the Broadway smash hit in the early nineties that defined a generation called rent. It was such an important, it was like right at the right time, right? Mm-hmm. As far as the socio-political movements at the time. Very similar to Hamilton in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of hit right at the right time and had really good music, really good meaning. There was a political sort of undertone to the whole thing. And this movie is based on the musical that Jonathan Larson wrote right before Rent, which was an autobiographical musical. Mm-hmm about his experience writing the musical before that called Superbia. Everything's connected. And this movie is directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote Hamilton. And this is Lin-Manuel Miranda's first time directing a movie, a motion picture. I thought he did a great, great job. I was extremely impressed. Unlike George Clooney watching The Tender Bar. (laughs) Well, that wasn't even George Clooney's first picture either. Anyway. Yeah, amazing debut. Lin-Manuel Miranda recently also wrote all of the music for the 60th Disney animated film Encanto. Encanto, Encanto. Encanto. And all the music in that is great. He didn't write any of the music in this because Jonathan Larson wrote it in his early 30s. 30 years ago. Yeah. And he decided to direct it, I think, really to pay tribute to... Jonathan Larson and the work that he had done 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And this movie was filled with a lot of nods and Easter eggs. Cameos. Yeah, that should tickle all the, uh, the theater, theater kids. kids' hearts yeah. and minds. There are so many that I don't even understand because I'm not a theater kid. I wasn't a theater kid. I hung out with theater kids in high school. But anyway, amazing directorial debut by Lin-Manuel Miranda. I love this guy. This the <laughs> Emmanuel Miranda, I I'm, I think I'm a fanboy of his because honestly, I loved Hamilton so much so that I forced everyone to do a podcast about it. And I love that musical. I listened to it over and over that year that it came out on Disney+. Plus. I love Encanto. It's one of my top 10 favorite movies this year. One of my favorite Disney animated movies in the past, like, I don't know, 20 years. And I love this movie because it is about Jonathan Larson writing about his failure and his life up to this point in his early 30s and then he went on like i said in real life he went on to write rent and then died like the day the night before the day the week before it actually premiered on broadway so he never actually even got to see rent on broadway which is unfortunate but jonathan larson's whole story is very similar to the alexander hamilton story which in that play the idea is he writes like he's running out of time he's constantly he feels like this time pressure that something is uh coming after him like you never know how much time you're gonna have and so you know he's just driven and he's working and he's he's trying to change the world or change the world that he's in and in the same way jonathan larson was doing the same thing here when he wrote this autobiographical musical he called it like a tick tick like he hears this constant ticking Mm -hmm. like a clock in his head and uh he writes that into his musical, his autobiographical musical, Tick, Tick, Boom. And we see it play out here in the movie as well in a very stylized way. So it really hits the emotional impact that you want it to. And I 
personally related to that because like Gabe alluded to earlier, I feel that same weight of like, like I feel like this movie was made for me in a way because I feel that same weight of running out of time. I have to do something great in this world. I have to do something of worth. And this is like the thing that I'm doing right now. So yeah, not just in this podcast, but like whatever it is that I'm putting my hand to the plow and not looking back kind of your, thing. Your dreams. Yeah. And so that's why it spoke to me personally, I would say, and why it immediately went into my top 10 of the year. And again, I'm not historically a musical person either. I do enjoy musicals, but like more so the main ones. I haven't even seen Rent, so. Will you see it now? Sure. The musical that defined a generation? Sure. No, I I, I would love to see it. I so I haven't seen a lot of the classic Broadway musicals. I just I'm not I've never really been interested until they become films. Mm-hmm. So and to be more specific with Rent, that was particularly regarding like uh, the AIDS epidemic, right? And yeah, that's a part of it. Of like the yeah, because Jonathan Larson's one of his friends close to him, or at least that was a big part of was the HIV tick- positive. Yeah, the tick tick boom played off that. A lot with the whole idea of running out of time. Yeah. Cause it was, and he also saw a lot of his friends die. Like he said, he's yeah. had seen like three or four of his friends die in recent years. And then we haven't said this yet, but Jonathan, I mean, we, we sort of glossed over it, but Jonathan Larson died at mm-hmm. the age of 35. In 96? I don't know the year, so you're probably correct. Yeah. But not from HIV or no, AIDS, no, no, no. but no, because he, of... Uh, an aneurysm. Yeah. Like a freak kind of aneurysm in his kitchen just, just dropped crazy man yeah to think he would be 60 or like 61 now i, is, I think is, it was an aortic aneurysm yeah his heart because yeah. i know is the condition that it is believed it is believed to be attributed to the marfan mm-hmm. syndrome mm-hmm. is what stretches your body out and puts a lot of strain on your body so uh andrew garfield plays jonathan larson in this film plays him well and he is a treasure yeah, I'm fully on like, global, not even national, international treasure. Andrew Garfield, wonderful funny. actor, Social Network, Amazing Spider-Man. He's he has a, an English accent, right? Even though he was raised in New York, Hacksaw Ridge, and he was in Silence, Never Let Me Go, which was right before Spider-Man. Really good indie, dystopian, futuristic film. Yeah, multi-talented actor. He recently was in The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh, as yeah. well next to jessica chastain mm-hmm. i think yeah. yeah and from what i've read he killed that role i mean they all killed it jessica chastain especially but it's interesting he can flex f- like seamlessly between leading man and mm-hmm. character actor mm-hmm. and he really brings <laughs> he was recently it? in spider-man no way home yeah Sp- as spider-man, as Spider-Man two Man's or three spoilers yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah yeah so we're big andrew garfield fans over here I'm a huge Lin-Manuel Miranda fan. This movie was amazing. Couldn't recommend it enough. I don't know what else to say about it. The format is interesting. The way it's presented for people that aren't familiar with Larson or his musicals. Tick, Tick, Boom, his second of his three. Or, I mean, I'm not sure how the musical was originally. But this film was fascinating to me because I really enjoyed the editing and the formatting of this story. The way it cuts between what is him presenting Tick, Tick, Boom as a musical to the audience and cutting between the dramatization of those scenes for the audience of the film. So between scenes, you're cutting back to Andrew Garfield on a stage presenting his musical. It reminded me a lot of one of my other favorite films, Bronson, 
by Nicholas Winding Refn. Starring Tom Hardy. Yeah, you're cutting back and forth between Tom Hardy and his story. He's telling you about his story. And that was really powerful because you can see Andrew Garfield in the moment, and then you can see Andrew Garfield in the future reacting to that moment as he's relaying it to the audience. Mm -hmm. And it just gives him an opportunity to show the breadth of his ability as an actor. Yeah. I loved the song that was doing what you just said, but it was cutting between sort of a satirical comedic song of him fighting with his girlfriend. Yeah. And then cutting between the actual fight and the actual things that were said Mm -hmm. in the moment in the fight. Yeah. In the past. Oh my gosh, that was genius. Lin-Manuel Miranda again. I'm glad you mentioned that scene because it was, it made me uncomfortable because that scene is, is such an intense moment in his past when his relationship with his girlfriend is falling apart. Right. And it's supposed to be a gut-wrenching thing for you, the audience, and for him. Yeah. And intercut is the part of his musical that is representing that. And he, it's such a manic display of like forced happiness or like forced. Yeah. It almost seems like it's driving him crazy. Yeah. It was, it was almost like a facetious happy. It's a fake happiness almost. Yeah. And it was ultimately just sad to see. I mean, that was the whole point I think of that particular song was mm-hmm. showing the modern relationship, especially from the male's end of things. Cause that is Jonathan Larson's perspective in that scenario mm-hmm. being in, unable to properly communicate with his significant other how he's feeling unable to process what he's feeling himself because he cares deeply about this person but he's also trying like all that matters ultimately to him his world revolves around this his dream and to write this musical to get this song out on time so he can't have his cake and eat it too unfortunately because his significant other is also a person and i think there's a line in that song that is like Something about how he loves her so much, but they're just not the right fit, you know? And it's it's really sad, especially because the girlfriend, like, kept reaching out and just they couldn't make it work. I also loved the scene. I think it was, like, kind of sort of the defining scene for the character toward the beginning when they're having the party at the apartment mm-hmm. and everything is sort of died down in the party and he starts just singing a song out of nowhere and everybody starts joining in. He's, like, moving between places in his apartment and involving yeah. everybody and and it shows like not just the passion and energy that Andrew Garfield is able to portray while portraying the character, but also the passion of Jonathan Larson and the kind of person that he was mm-hmm. being an inspirational leader, mover, shaker kind of individual. Yeah, he wanted to create art not for himself, but for everybody to experience together. Mm-hmm. And everybody loves him and loves yeah. what he does, even when they don't pick it up. As a producer, you know. Yeah, and then I loved, I loved the scene and how it was shot. The musical number, at the Moondance Diner, was awesome. I loved when like the wall came down, yeah, and just you panned out and you're in the city. I was like, that is so genius. But then I loved again later after he finds out his best friend is HIV positive and his friend like didn't tell him because the friend had been trying to tell him for yeah, yeah. a few days and Garfield but, was not Yeah, he couldn't. He didn't because Garfield was just like fo- focused busy, on yeah. his own stuff. And then he wanders through the city mm-hmm. remembering all of the his relationship with his best friend and then he finds a piano, which is like a an actual thing that you you could stumble upon if you know where to look in Manhattan. <laughs> and then he starts playing the piano and he writes this song 
And then just out of, in that moment, out of the deep turmoil that he's experiencing, he begins to play. The The song just flows out of him. And mm-hmm. it's so beautiful. And I, I loved, I loved Jonathan Larson's, the way that he wrote these songs. I loved his, um, his playfulness and how he would phrase things. And it's almost like he played with the English language in such a way. And he knew musical theater so well that he could almost incorporate hooks you know, melodies and aspects of musical theater that I am ill-equipped to even speak on, but in such a way that would be so engaging for a listener that not only is the music good and the melody good, but the words that he's saying and the structure of the sentences or the phrasings and in, in the stanzas in the song are done in such a way that it just makes it uh, extremely appealing and extraordinarily engaging in a very lighthearted way but also in a very uh, serious and meaningful way, if that makes sense. It's like that perfect zenith where everything collides and creates like a, a resonance that mm. like is extremely relatable yeah. and engaging for you know the person that's watching or listening. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would put it in slightly different terms for myself in terms of what I brought, what I took away from Larson's work is it's the it was the meeting of like artistry. Yeah, and its message and intent, and then the accessibility, which is like the fun, right? Um, catchy, quippy nature mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. and I think that for me really came to a head when he starts having his workshop on his first musical, Superbia, which is just a crazy zany <laughs> setting. It's yeah. future dystopia Earth. The way he breaks it down is so funny. It sounds like a Flight of the Concords setup because it's like... It also seems like a very similar dystopian version of what today is like. Yeah, he People was, are famous for doing nothing on their screens. He and, nailed it. He was yeah. 30 years or like 20 years ahead of his time in yeah. terms of what social media would look like. Yeah, it's but like to, in a Black Mirror kind of way. Yeah, and I love the way the movie approached that with the other producers other than Sondheim because they just didn't get it. Like the one guy who was there with Sondheim in the scene who's like just parody ass kisser yeah it's such a oh yeah that's what i was gonna say too such a b word but just in a different way (laughs) yeah but like even some of the people in his workshop like the one girl in the first day she's like so can you explain it and he's like yeah uh what she's like the story (laughs) can you explain the play (laughs) and he was like what he just so many people didn't get it he was ahead of his time right but, but like I was saying, that, that musical is so brilliant because it takes something like kooky and crazy and, and fun and catchy, the way he writes the songs, like you said, is so unique to his style. But also there's a, a, an amazing message there and there's, there's subtext and there's depth if, with every play, like even the second one, when it's just a story about his life, mm-hmm. it is, there's so much to unpack just in Tick, Tick, Boom as his second musical. And I don't know much about Rent because they didn't cover it in this one, but just from the little that I know from what you've told me, being that definitive work for so many people in the 90s and at the turn of the millennia for like the gay community and whatnot. Mm-hmm. This was a man who knew how to weave theme, you know, and message with yeah. uh, the genre of musical. Together, yeah. And to give that to people and to have people just respond, you know, it took a little while for, for people to see it because it, it is hard to get your name out there, even for brilliant people, you know, starting from nothing. But once they, I mean, it exploded. Rent just blew up right on the scene as soon as it started playing. So it speaks to his genius. I like, like it gripped me. And I've, like you said, have never 
really been into musicals. Ever. I mean, I enjoyed Hamilton, but I never thought about it again after I saw it. <laughs> well, you think about this But again. this this was more than a musical. I mean... Yeah, that's, that's the hard thing to sort of... The natural way that that scene took place when he's on the couch late after the party and then the song sort of just... It transpires naturally. Yeah. I feel like makes it more than just a musical because it incorporates it into a very compelling story that you're interested in as the character moves forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't even really think of this movie as a musical because it just feels so right as a movie. Everything flows naturally. Right. One scene to the next, you know, one beat into the next beat of a scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it just happens to be a musical. Yeah. To me. Yeah. (laughs) And just to throw some more love back on Andrew Garfield and his presentation, I think you told me that he learned to sing over the course of a year over the course role. of a year yeah so crazy he spent a year working on his voice mm-hmm. and learning to sing for this movie it's interesting I, I mean obviously i would assume that he had help from lin-manuel miranda the goat <laughs> yeah the potential goat i don't know if i can call him that yet he's on his way what was your favorite song in tick tick boom uh, dude i i couldn't i couldn't pick I couldn't pick. The the one that I found I immediately wanted to listen to right after watching the movie was the first one, was the 3090. Yeah. That was such a strong opener for me, and I think they referenced it in the trailer. But just that, and it's not even one of his more, you know, like inventive or playful melodies, and lyrically it's not as crazy as some of his other stuff. But it really just is a good starting point, I think, for showing you both the character and Andrew Garfield's range yeah as a as a singer because yeah. there are some notes in there that i was like that's pleasant to my ear i was shocked that he honestly singing is hard it's really hard and and even people that don't the reason it's hard is because even people that aren't professionals can recognize when there's a good singer or a bad singer so if you're a bad singer anyone and everyone is going to tell you that you're a bad singer so that's why it's hard there's a lot of pressure that that comes with it so andrew pulled it off totally mm-hmm. yeah especially for not really needing to be a singer himself because he's the one writing the music. He didn't necessarily need to be this amazing singer. So I think there's a forgiveness there as the audience, you know, but he did really well. I couldn't. People say he sounded and, or at least looked just like Larson did. Yeah. It was very accurate. Yeah. I would love to hear, I haven't done any research on this, but I would love to hear why Lin-Manuel Miranda or how he cast him in this role, like how he went about that and found him or did he seek him out or, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I couldn't pick a song cause I love the emotional ones a lot cause they mean something to me personally. And then I love all the zany ones as well. Yeah. You know, would you recommend this movie to many? To I, all? Would, I would recommend it to a, many people. I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. Uh, yeah. Cause everybody's not going to be someone that's in, Larson's shoes and we could throw labels on what that person is in terms of being like dreamer aspiring like unrecognized yeah that's why uh, you know but I do feel like the the words we could use to characterize to describe and talk about Jonathan Larson and by extension the people that he impacted yeah it, it's an inspirational story and I'm glad uh that we got to to catch it because I I you know I felt the same Stuff I don't quite feel the ticking clock. I think just because I'm a little bit younger and uh, I haven't yet hit my thirty. I felt it my whole life, though. That's the crazy thing, and I think Jonathan did too. Maybe. maybe. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you're probably right. 
Even though it took him eight years to write Superbia. In junior high, I was called in to my principal's office for like letting my grade slip in a meeting with my father. This is in like seventh grade, I think. I think I maybe have told you this story. I think so. And they're like, what? What's wrong with you? They're, yeah, they're like, why are your grades slipping? And I was like, I just don't see the point in trying. And I, I was like, you go to school every day. You don't remember hardly any of it when you know, you're know you out of school for 20 years. But you go to school every day, elementary school, middle school, high school. You graduate from high school. You go to college and learn the same things that you just learned in high school for two years. And then you focus on something for two years and then you call yourself a master enough to then go get a job in that field mm-hmm. if you're lucky. I was like, I just don't think that's for me. <laughs> and then they just looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. This was in seventh grade. I was like 11. No, no, I was like 12. Yeah. It's so funny that two people can look at the same picture and just see something completely different. Yeah, it's wild. It's like Johnny's friend. I don't know. It feels weird to call him Johnny. John. Like John's friend, mm-hmm. Michael in the film. Yeah. Who was just... Great actor. Yeah, they were. He was great. They're, he was just looking for something different. Even before he had his diagnosis with HIV, it was just what he wants is different than what Jonathan wants. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you have plenty of friends in your life who, uh, yeah, whose philosophies on what they're looking for ultimately are just completely. You might think, why? What is the point of that? You know, I think there was a there was a scene. I think it might have been when Jonathan's power went out in the film, mm-hmm. and he's just like. He said our our catchphrase, what is happening? (laughs) Like life is just, life is chaos and life is just chock full of things that to some people don't matter. And he's searching unapologetically and relentlessly just for that fulfillment and that thing that'll bring him and his life meaning, you know? Yeah. I loved the scenes where he's in the advertisers and it's just like, it was just like a nightmare. (laughs) Well, that was really, that was a very interesting scene because- you have this person who's like clearly just out of the box thinker it shows up late. And then you have the other people who were there waiting for him, upset with him for being late. Mm-hmm. And they all just start to like worship him as like a Jesus or something. And like a, like a Messiah. They're like, well, what do you think? You know, it was hilariously done. Yeah. Clearly like, you know, it was over the top intentionally, but there are people like that who influence the people around them in such a way that the genius just emanates from them. And, Everyone recognizes it almost immediately, you know? I loved his approach to that whole corporate world when he's talking about advertising and how, like, just empty it is. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I was like, yes! (laughs) Preach, brother! (laughs) Advertising is such a friggin' preying on the weak and impressionable. I mean, it happens to the best of us. I get advertised to every day. Yeah, you do. (laughs) I just bought Doritos last week. (laughs) crazy uh michael his friend is played by robin de jesus uh i really liked him in this role vanessa hudgens is also in this movie by the way but as like a background character yeah less than i thought but she was great his yeah all of his friends were were great yeah i was very impressed but but bradley whitford Mm -hmm. was uh steven sondheim because larson in this film just worshipped at the feet of sondheim and so Producer, writer, he wrote West Side Story, the music, the lyrics. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. And then he also did, this is the one I was trying to remember, Sweeney Todd. Oh. Yeah. Yep. A legend in his time and for all time. Anyway, here is a song 
from the motion picture based on the autobiographical musical Tick, Tick, Boom. Of Jonathan Larson. <laughs> by Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> Sung by Andrew Garfield. Six layers of... Stop the clock. Take time out. Time to regroup before you lose the bout. Freeze the Wicked witches, poppy fields, old men behind the curtain, tiger lilies. 